We almost made it through without turning juvenile. <laughs> well, I noticed we were at that point, and I thought we we're about halfway through. I better get, uh, I better get, I better get us back on brand. <laughs> Brussels and Ashburn turn up every week for this kind of slutty nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Air Podcast, where we talk about films and comics and sometimes a TV show here and there. But today it's going to be extra special because we're talking about both a comic and a film. And do you know what's even better? It's the same thing. It's 30 days and night. We're starting off our Halloween couple of weeks i don't know what would you call it a half month but as always i am part of your regular co-hosting team i am matt and with me for the regular viewers i'll know exactly who i'm about to introduce but if not if you are the first time listening then just hit the subscribe now you can always unfollow us by the end of it if you don't like it but just do it now and maybe put a little like so the person in question that i was talking about it's tim how are you tim Matt, how are you? I'm doing great. It's nice to see you yet again. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not that bad to look at, am I? <laughs> you, have, you have a certain beauty, do you? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would have preferred if you'd left out the certain, but hey, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and we have one of our favourite guests on today as well. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to introduce him other than that. Joe, how are you? Uh, very good, very good. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here. Should be a fun episode doing a double feature comic movie, uh, double hitter, you know, so it'll be fun to compare the adaptation to the uh, source material. Indeed, it will do, especially when you found out that my opinion is basically the opposite of yours in every conceivable way. <laughs> Joe was texting. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> Joe, Joe's like texting me. Well, the first one was quite good. The second one I didn't like, and the third one brought it back home. And I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> literally, literally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll probably just not reply to this one. <laughs> uh, so I briefly explained we're doing thirty days of night, which was a short comic series, a mini-series in 2002, and it was by Niles and Temple Smith, and then the whole expanded world crept out of that. There's about 30 mini-series and ongoing titles and the whatnot, including a crossover with the X-Files, which kind of makes sense when we get talking about it. Uh, we are going to be covering the original trilogy, which is 2002's 30 Days and Night. We have Dark Days in 2003. Return to Barrow from 2004, and then the theatrical adaptation from 2007, which was directed by David Slade, which sounds a bit like a superhero, doesn't it? Oh, sure. Right, okay. <clears throat> so I think, being as I've spoiled it a bit for what Joe's about to say, I think it's only fair for him to give us his general thoughts on the original series now. Well, I really enjoyed it. It was almost a genius idea to set a vampire story in a small town in Alaska where, you know, the sun doesn't rise for 30 days. That yeah. premise, that setup is fantastic, right? And that's a great way to sell it. So, and Temple Smith, his style of art lends itself so well to that environment. The barren, isolated, being alone in the dark, his style was fantastic. That first story was, it was the perfect match of uh, Temple Smith and Niles together. And uh, I could see why it got picked up. It took a long time for this to find any kind of traction because from what I understand, Niles had been shopping around to, originally, I think he wrote it as a movie, as a screenplay, and also shot yeah, it, it as a, a comic. For, and, yeah, 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 and everyone was turning it down. And then, yeah, IDW decided, okay, let's go with it. And then released the comic. The comic was a smashing success, and then it got picked up to make the movie after. So, yeah. As you said, the first thing that jumped out to me, just reading the blurb on the back of it, was 
how has nobody thought of this before? This would be a perfect, <laughs> even uh, an episode of the X-Files of the Twilight Zone. And it actually <laughs> turns out that the Twilight Zone did a very similar episode called Red Snow, which was based in Russia, though not Alaska, and it was with the extended night. And there was another one that was quite similar called One for the Road in Stephen King's The Night Shift, which was a series of short stories. So I actually bought that when I was young. <laughs> I could just about handle the length of the stories. <laughs> From Roald Dahl to Stephen King. It was a bit of a jump, but I just about managed it. <laughs> That's a good collection. Yeah, it is. It is. And I quite vividly remember some of them even now. And a lot of them have been picked up for stories as well, haven't they? Like, um, yeah. what was the one that was done earlier in the year? The horror film? Boogeyman. Boogeyman. Yeah, Boogeyman, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and another... Uh, well, no, I'll get onto that. I'll get onto that, Joe, and I'll just cut out that bit where it sounds like I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I agree with you. It's a really good story, but... It has some huge pacing problems, not only in the story, but in the context of the feeling of how long this lasted for. It felt like overnight, not over a month. I think he needed to commit to either building a world or telling a story and do it in a concise way because three (coughs) issues, it's not enough to do both of them at the same time. And I actually think if you look at this as more of a genre romance, a genre love story, and the vampiric threat is actually secondary to the story between, is it Eben and Stella? The two, mm-hmm. two main characters. Yes. Afterwards, I thought, well, actually, it served their story better than it did actually the vampire side of things. Um, yeah. I agree with you on the art style. I think it looks sensational at parts. It really does give that lost and agoraphobic look you always want to know what's going on beyond the panel you can never quite tell what's off page and it gives you that little sense of anxiety because it's all on top yeah. of you he works on top of texture so even yeah, yeah, when you yeah, have yeah. A, a blank background there's so much going on with all the textures too so it's almost like it's alive like there's something alive in the background yeah, even yeah, though we yeah. don't see it it feels it feels alive yeah the only thing that i'll say <laughs> that i couldn't quite and I was glad wasn't in the second and third story was the use of almost like rotoscoping for the faces. It kind of put them in this uncanny valley where there was almost almost a realism to them. But the faces, it almost looks a little bit like Lawnmower Man at times. And that I found mm-hmm. that a little bit jarring. But yeah, on the whole, great story. But like I said, the pacing was something that really threw me off by the end. And I think there was a rush to the, specifically in the final act, there was a big rush to the punch where we had almost a patient build-up. They get bunkered down outside of town. And then that part of the story feels like it was, what, 28 of the 30 days? And then it just didn't, it lacked a little bit of flow for me. I promise that I, Matt and I didn't talk about this, but my response to it is almost exactly the same as yours. And one of the things that I wondered about is you rarely see, and I think, Joe, you answer, you basically answered my question, which is you rarely see a three-issue series of any kind. I mean, I can think of off the top of my head a couple of things where it's two issues, five and six is the contemporary standard for a mini. Yeah. But three is strange. So I wondered whether it was the situation where they're kind of testing it out and depending on how well it did, they'd continue the story. And that really the story is meant to be all three of these volumes. The yeah. first three issues kind of like a beta test. Like, let's see how it goes. Let's see if it sells, and then we'll continue. I didn't think of screenplay, but that probably just explains it. Like, it was originally a sp- screenplay, so there wasn't that, weren't um, writing for six issues or writing for a trade, per se. I think that observation, such as it is, lends itself to my criticism of it. Now, first, I agree the art is really great for this. And you guys have mentioned, like, the texture, this barrenness of the Alaskan night. I found myself looking at a bunch of panels being like, I can't quite make out what's yeah, happening. Yeah, you have yeah. to really focus on it. The action I, sequences. Yeah, or, yeah. Yeah. That's how I would imagine that would be in real life. You're looking, you can maybe see something in the background, maybe, but you're not sure. There's like a boogeyman out there waiting to, to pounce. You can't quite tell. There's like a anxiety about the art that I found great. So yeah, I love that. My, my problems with it were, I agree, Matt, like the pacing was kind of wonky especially the first three, you mentioned it, they're hunkered down for like 70% of the, well, like 50% of the comic, let's say. 
And then the last, the scene where Evan turns into a vampire and like kills the main dude. I forget the main guy's name. That, that last, yeah, that lasts like three panels or whatever. It's like a couple punches mm-hmm. and then he's dead. So I thought that was weird pacing. I didn't really get a lot of, honestly, character development or character mm-hmm. motives exactly. Like, I don't know. It was very strange. On top of that, Eben's sacrifice where he becomes a vampire struck me as sort of like unearned. Like, what's he got? Like, why is he doing that exactly? It's like, well, one of the things is like, you're, there's a heuristic, like he's the sheriff of the town. So I guess he's like, other regarding as to save the town, it's his obligation, maybe. But I just found that the characters are not that well developed or well motivated. And then I also did not understand the timeline. One night mm. and the sun's back up again. So I thought that could have been handled better. They touch on that a little bit about how they lose track of how many days they have left. So even they don't know if it's been 20 days, 15 days, you know, after a while they lose track. And I agree that like the pacing, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's just because it was three issues, you couldn't develop, okay, we're running out of food, really leaning to the reasons why they have to come out of hiding and expose themselves to these vampires, Mm -hmm. because it's either we starve to death or the vampires get us. We have to make a choice. Mm -hmm. There wasn't much emphasis on Mm -hmm. as a group, okay, we got to make this decision. Are we going to slowly die or go out and fighting? He didn't lean into that enough. And I don't know if it's because he just didn't have enough pages to work with. Because like you said, this had been chopped around and no one was really interested. And maybe like IDW was like, okay, we'll take a chance on it. We can give you at most three issues, right? So maybe he tried to fit that all into the three issues. And okay, first issue is going to be the introduction of the the scout, right? We're going to introduce the scout comes in. Yeah, with with the the cell phones and everything. Like, I love that. The second one is the whole conflict vampires mm-hmm. coming and killing everyone and them in hiding and then the third one's more like the sacrifice and the conclusion right so maybe if he had two more issues he could have leaned into more mm-hmm. of the other things someone marking the days on a wall the five you know and then the cross and like okay we're at this many days we're running out of food and yeah. then like okay there's a food storage place over here if we maybe we'll get into it but i think the adaptation made a lot of little changes that elevated yeah, the original story exactly so yeah yeah it, yeah it actually expands on the final set piece and the also idea yeah the, the whittling away of the days mm-hmm. even if you split you did two pages maybe a couple of pages apart whereby they first get there you split it into nine panels day one day two day three day four day five one two mm-hmm. three four five ten fifteen and then yeah, it comes yeah. to the, and then it comes to them facing the harsh reality that they can't stay there and then there's unrest and you have day yeah. 20, day 21, and then you get to day 30 and then it jumps back into the story. We've started with the negatives, but I think one thing that this did really well, it pitched an idea of vampires that I've very rarely seen before, killing for sport's sake. They weren't mm-hmm. hunting for sustainability. He intentionally didn't turn anyone to keep it a local event. And that nice switch where you have these unbridled young vampires wreaking havoc on this town and then Bertie Big Bollocks turns up Vicente the old top table vampire comes and goes what the fuck are you doing we've spent centuries Centuries. trying to keep ourselves hidden and now you're how do you think no one survives no one gets out set the town on fire and the only time I've really seen this going back to the, the point I was almost making earlier the only time I've seen this kind of almost passion killing and just unbridled mm-hmm. violence was in Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. And Steve Nile also did a comic adaptation of that prior to writing 30 Days of Night. So I feel like he did pick up the influence of even the way they sort of look, the way that Vicente looked like Count Orlock from Nosferatu. It mm-hmm. had that classical vampiric mm-hmm. look as opposed to the young ones dressed in normal clothes, hunting for the sport of it. I really liked the way that the vampires were represented in in the first story. That motivation made a lot of sense to me. Don't turn anybody because when you turn, they become a new vampire and they're loose cannons. They could jeopardize our secrecy, what we've built up over the last century. So that that actually I thought was quite clever. And I liked I liked that a lot. That that made a lot of sense. Yeah, it was well staged. I just feel like it needed more elaboration. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They've continued this series. I don't know how many total issues there are. But I'm definitely interested to continue reading what comes after this. And different artists come on board and stuff. I know Sam Keith did some of the art on some of the series. So I'd be really interested to see his work on that and see how he interprets the whole world and what kind of feel he gives it, you know. So 
I'll definitely dig into the rest of the series at some point, hopefully. <laughs> well, let's collect additional Omnis. Is, do they have additional Omnis for I've this? Not, I've not seen it. I think a lot of them would be a bit of a hunt to, to try and find yeah. as well. Because yeah, cool. when you message just which ones are we reading? I was like, oh, for God's sake, Tim, all three. And you're like, there's like fucking 30 of them. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah. oh, Tim, Tim, you probably just searched for Spider-Man or something. Let me <laughs> let, let me take control of the situation. Chat GTP, list me all 30 Days of Nights volumes in chronological order with writer. I was like, oh, Almost precisely, almost precisely 30. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh. I had to go and click on because what I got was a complete edition, right? And it's yeah. only the first first three issues. Yeah. So then I'm like, okay, this isn't it because Matt said he ordered his and it's like a slip case with the three together, right? Yeah. Or, or okay, it's one full volume. So then I went back. Okay, they have one that's the full, but they didn't, mm. it wasn't free on Kindle. The individual right. trades were free on Kindle. So I had to go to make sure okay. I wasn't reading the wrong thing. So I went and looked what was included in that one <laughs> that Matt ordered. And I was like, okay, Dark Days and Return to Borrow. Okay, so I went and got those three off Kindle because yeah. they were free uh, with the Kindle subscription. And that's how I read it. What are they called? The little manga things? What are they called? Teppanyaki or something like that. What are they called? What are they called? The manga size. They could like... Oh, top, fuck. Top, I don't know. Top of, top of Kuru or something. Yeah, I've heard it a few times. Anyway, I can never remember what the word is. That's well, this one. basically, the, the ones that, the one that me and Tim read, <laughs> it has mm-hmm. all three of the stories in, and it's in that. it's sl- It would be oversized for a manga by about 5%, but it's a lot more conciser size than traditional Western comics, or at least American comics. That's North American comics. Now, Tim, you I really like enjoyed that. reading this. I yeah. struggled with the lettering for the vampires because it's a very whistly, mm. almost hissing style of lettering. And I was reading it at night with a little reading lamp and I had to put my glasses on and I was moving it backwards and the thing backwards and forwards in front of my oh, face to try yeah. and get what I had. It was, it was hard work, but at the same time, I guess it gave it a feel of a different language because it gave me headaches. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I just did this. Whoop. <laughs> that's me right. zooming in. That's that if because you, you can't see. That's me with my fingers just zooming in. Whoop. <laughs> I just I thought... zoomed in. It was easy. It was easy peasy. <laughs> uh, that's why I like you, Joe. Forever the show off. <laughs> that's one thing that's great about digital comics and my eyesight getting worse as I get older. I could just zoom in on that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so dark days, two thousand and three. Now, this really changes. It's kind of the difference between Alien and Aliens. Stella survives. So at the end of the first um, run, Eben? Eber. I can't remember what his name is. Eben. 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 Eben Stevens. So Eben decides the only way he can defeat the vampires is by injecting himself with some vampire blood. And then he sits on the top of this beautiful snowscape with Stella, tell each other they love each other, and then he lets the sunlight take him because he doesn't want to live as a vampire. Now, the second one picks up, and Stella is hell-bent on revenge. She wants to eradicate the vampire population, and it's in... L.A. Where is it? It's L.A., right? It's in L.A., And she's written a book on her account of what happened in the Barrow, Barrow, Alaska. Barrow, Barrow, Barrow Alaska. Yeah. As I live and breathe. <laughs> I really liked it. It reminded me a lot of Guggenheim's Blade of that sort of Civil War Marvel era. A lot more traipsing and hiding and the machinations of clandestine acts and trying to find out what the root of the problem was. I love the expansion of the world. And one of the things that was brought up in the first miniseries, there was this older black lady and she sends her son out in a helicopter to try and capture some footage of the vampires. Unfortunately, the chopper comes down. 
he's killed and we pick up with her and Stella meeting each other and what they're going to do about the vampire population. I really enjoyed this. I love the turn of pace. Yeah, I like this one uh, too. I like the idea that their motivation is revenge and part of revenge is to expose the vampire. I mean, what is the What are the vampires fear the most, which is being exposed yeah, and hunted yeah, ultimately. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the whole point. They're going on this speaking tour and the book tour to expose the vampires. And that's why Stella and that older lady get together because she was trying to do the same thing, get footage. They can sort of triangulate the proof. And I also like that people were receiving them as if it's like a joke or a fiction. That was kind of an interesting tension. And I kind of liked the art in this because I can see why it'd be mismatched to an LA scene. But I do think that in like popular culture, LA is considered like the noir city par excellence. And this, I thought art really lent itself to like the darker corners of, of LA, which is what, which is, territory that filmmakers and writers have been mining for like decades kind of useful in that tradition so i i liked it i thought some of the pacing issues were not a problem in this and that made me wonder i think this is was a six issue this yeah. second uh, iteration so it kind of made me wonder about what was going on with that first but yeah this shows you that if he has five or six issues to expand a bit that the pacing problems go away there was a lot more feeling behind the characters because there was now 10 issues of backstory by the time it came to its conclusion. And there's a sort of three-pronged threat. There's the existential threat, there's the personal physical threat, and then there's almost a intellectual threat because she's worried about her publishers keeping it going, keeping the book tour going. There's a part where it gets stamped with with fiction instead of non-fiction. And you really did feel that with the art, it doesn't transfer 100%, but it does make it seem compressed and claustrophobic backstreets. Yeah, in the shadows still. So you do think it sort of portrays that side of a big city well. I really liked the balance of it. I did. This was my least favorite of the three. I love all the ideas that are in place. I just don't feel like the intro where she goes in, gives her speech at the college, and nothing comes of it. Like, the cops show up and it's, oh, no big deal. They kind of play it off as a stunt, but I was like, dude, they were shooting guns and shit like that? You don't just get a slap on the wrist for that, especially in the U.S. with school shootings and everything. You go into a college doing a speech, and there was no consequence to that scene. So for me, right off the bat, it gave me a weird, this story is no longer grounded in my world of reality of how things would work out if this happened. It took me out of the story right there, right from the start. But the idea of showing up there, drawing them out, uh, having like the UV lights set up and everything, I thought, great idea. Because they're trying to keep it secret. So she's using their secrecy against them, right? To draw them out and a trap. All that was great. I love that. I forget the woman's name who wanted to find footage to prove that the vampires exist and all that. And I liked her character, but I found her art What's as relevant as I thought it was going to be? It didn't hold as much weight. She shows up and she doesn't really mentor Stella or anything or adds much. She just, oh, I have this. But for someone who's been studying this for a long time, you think she'd have more, inform us more about the history and what's going on and and have like those people that want to catch serial killers, a cork board with the strings and all this stuff, <laughs> and kind of revealing yeah. all this history of vampires, which no, she just shows up and she's more scared than Stella or doesn't really have much to offer Stella aside from this CD. So it's like, okay, here's the CD now. She's Her character's useless after this because she has nothing else to offer. I That kind of bothered me a little bit with the story. Yeah, yeah. There's great introduction of... I like the story that it's a double revenge story because you have Stella who wants revenge and you have Lilith who wants revenge for Vincente's death because that's his mm. partner, yeah. right? So mm. you, you have the double mm. like revenge from both sides. That that was fantastic. I love that idea of the story where it's not just Stella going after them. They want to get her as much, you know, both their partners are dead and they both, you know, two women, you know how women can be vicious with each other. So oh, I love that hell, aspect of the story. Hell have no fury like <laughs> yeah, a <woman's> so, <laughs> Blood shall be dead, you know? <laughs> I, And on that, Joe, as well, I'm really glad you brought that up because it shows that because she has such a reputation now, the vampires 
are really hesitant of approaching her. It will have to be a really stealthy mission to take her out, sort of big play, that you actually see them receding because as her reputation, as Stella's reputation grows within the vampiric society, they are actually now as fearful, if not more fearful of her. And then you have the introduction of Dane, or Dwayne, is it Dane? Dane, which is an interesting how Stella does that whole switcheroo where, oh, and the crew that she gets together, the hunters, like she gathers uh, a crew with her of hunters and they feel betrayed by her taking a shine to this vampire who doesn't want to play by the rules of the vampire committee or whatever you want to call them, the whole whole group. So you have that dynamic, which was, I thought was good. That was my favorite part of the story is the Stella Dane dynamic. And is he really helping her? Is he going to turn? Does he have his own uh, plan or, and he's just using her for his own means to become top dog or something, you know, it's kind of ambiguous at the beginning, but in the end you see it's genuine, you know, and, and that translates also into the third chapter, the final chapter Mm. of the story. And my final criticism is, I like Temple Smith's art and I love his art in the first one. And I asked, I was like, I don't know. There's something about the art. It just didn't jive with me. And then I was talking to Johnny. Yeah. He's like, this is probably one of his weakest books I've mm-hmm. ever seen. Cause Johnny's a fan too. And he's like, I don't know if it's cause he had tight deadlines. So he rushed his art. He said, go check out Warren Ellis's fell. Cause he does buildings and, and architecture and stuff and he's, he's like it's fantastic it pales in comparison to the uh, the stuff he did with warren ellis on fell okay okay it makes sense and i've noticed like i said the, the little criticism i had of his in the first one like we touched on with tim earlier was action sequences sometimes they can become confusing the way he panels them out and draws them you kind of get lost in it a little bit and i felt because this is much more action heavy because it's a revenge story and, you know, you got the hunters and there's more conflict of equal weight on both sides, right? And I found you get lost in it. Although there are some beautiful panels in there. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, he, yeah, does, yeah, yeah. he does offer up some beautiful panels. It's not it's not horrible. But, I mean, compared to the way he draws all the scenes from Biro, I find the L.A. It didn't feel like L.A. For the longest time, I was mistaken. I thought it took place in New Orleans. I was like, oh, yeah, there's a story that takes place in New Orleans. I didn't like it. And Johnny's like, New Orleans? What? Which one is that? Are you? He's like, are you talking about Dark Days? I was like, yeah, 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 Dark Days. He's like, that takes place in L.A., dude. I was like, oh, you see how much I enjoyed that story? I don't even remember where it took place. So <laughs> I don't know. It, this is another three-issue arc, I believe, right? No, is it? I thought it was six. I thought was it was it six. six. It's about six. What's yeah, it? it's, it's about half Five of the, the omnibus. Okay. Yeah, about half of I it. I thought it it read pretty quick, though. So maybe that's why. Yeah, I it didn't, did do yeah. 100%. Yeah. Overall, it was good. And with the three together, I think it made it better. But if I read this alone and had to recommend it to people, I don't think I would. But mm. how it connects the two borrow stories together, it's mm. kind of a necessity, right? Because it ties... Without this, you can't get to the return to Barrow, right? There's elements in it at the end and stuff, you know, that without that, you don't get the twist of the, that final chapter doesn't make sense without the ending cliffhanger of this one, right? So going back to Dane, I like the assertion about vampires that look, there's bad vampires and they're the ones you see, but they're like people, there's good and bad. It's just the good people don't show up as much and i kind of use that as almost an analog for some vice or like addiction it's like not don't do drugs just never do drugs with matt (laughs) 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 like that's that's the message and the kind of hunger that that sort of addiction can show not saying that that is actually what it was but i just liked that it said well no everybody is on their own merits and if you were bad then you're going to be bad when you're pissed probably even worse or if you're a lot of fun normally you're just going to be even more fun when you're pissed and it's the same when you become a vampire and we got a little bit of vampire nookie nookie (laughs) and it's one of those questions where you think how does this work because surely that was weird yeah would he be in a state of rigor mortis? Like he'd have his little toddler gobbler, but it'd just be I, completely rigid. How does it even I, work? I think he kind of touches on it a little bit, though, doesn't he? How he still functions 
all his well, he'd have to touch on it a little of, bit, mate. He's kind got of no red flags just to get it working. So <laughs> they, they, yeah, they explain it a little bit. They go into very minor detail about how he's like, all my bodily functions kind of still work the same way. Like I still breathe. I still like you know, like it's just, yeah, like I. I it seems to me they touched on it a little bit. They didn't no, go into great it. detail like the rest of the book. They don't go into much detail yeah. in specifics for certain things. But he's uh, definitely still thumbing it in, though, isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no way that's just happening by, <laughs> by but, romance. <laughs> but that's the yeah. whole appeal, right? In vampire lore, right? The seduction. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, right? So I think that's so probably why he threw that in there. Yeah. But he had to be like, okay, what's something in vampire lore that I haven't touched on? The yeah. seduction. I made them these bloodthirsty, killing, almost like sharks in water when it's blood, right? Mm. Mindless monsters that are just feeding, right? He kind of gave more... A little less than the movie, but he gave them more of that allure. And then yeah. in this chapter, which is nice, he gave them more. Some of them do retain a lot of their humanity, right? Even though they've yeah, turned, yeah, like yeah. you said. So he definitely nails that one down in this yeah. middle story. And, there. and talking about nailing one down, is he shooting blanks? Because <laughs> I'm thinking like it's going to be Venom. It would be like being shagged by a xenomorph. You just melt on climax <laughs> from the inside out. <laughs> I don't think he's shooting an acid or a fire from his cock. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. He might be promiscuous. He might be shooting fire, but for a different reason. <laughs> yeah, when he's pissing, <laughs> he's into that. What would you call that? It wouldn't wouldn't be golden showers. It'd be uh, oh, acid shower or whatever. Yeah. Acid, acid rain. Acid rain. Uh, Tim, on well, that note. Do you have we almost to made it. We, we almost made it through without turning juvenile. <laughs> well, I noticed we were at that point, and I thought we're about halfway through. I better get. I better get. I better get us back on brand. <laughs> Brussels and Ashburn turn up every week for this kind of slutty nonsense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anything to add, Tim? Or, or... no, no. That's good. Uh, and now. On to the final part of this initial trilogy, Return to Barrow from 2004. I don't have like a clear memory of this one. I remember finding it entertaining while I was reading it, but I couldn't tell you like specifically where the second one ends and this one begins. Obviously, they return to Barrow. This did not stick with me for some reason. My notes are nice conclusion. There we go. Off we go. The one thing I do remember that I liked a lot is like towards the end where she succeeds in bringing Evan back. And then he just like, he basically like wastes her. Yeah, that's the big twist of the end of yeah. the second volume. Yeah. Oh, so she gets him back. And then that final panel is him. Oh, yeah. I, I love the way they draw their mouths when they attack like a shark, round yeah. in with the jagged teeth. And he just does a shark attack on her at the end. So that's the final page of. The Dark Days story. That's See, it. That, that's it exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. I couldn't tell you exactly where the second one ends and the third one begins exactly. See, I thought that happened in the third one. That's a yeah. final page of the yep. Dark Days. Yeah. Yep, totally. Maybe it's easier for me because I read them by trade and not by a collection. It finished and then I had to upload the next one, right? So I knew that was the end of this one. So maybe I had those more solid breaks in between each story that made it more, more evident yeah. for me. Yeah. In your version, did you have actual issue breaks or just the volume breaks? No, they gave you pinups of the covers at the end, okay. right? But it just continued. That's why I wasn't sure. Mm, That's why I thought yeah. it was just, I was like, wasn't it three issues? And you guys are like, no, it was uh, five or six. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah. I thought each story was like three issues because it read so quickly, right? It, it, it's a pretty quick read, though, in general. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Yeah, um, really. Yeah, this was like... Uh, I almost enjoyed this one as much as the first one. Uh, Barrow, it's returned. So the people of Barrow learn from the first one, right? The town has developed a system in case they come back. So everybody's trained. They're armed to the teeth. They're like, this will not happen to us again. And one of the main guys is one of the victims. His brother lives in Barrow. And this guy comes back to become the new sheriff. Oh, yeah. And... The deputy in town is this uh, burly little woman, and she's like, oh, well, uh, very uh, elusive about stuff. And, right. and, they, and he takes Eben and Stella's house, and the kid goes into the attic. He has a son with him, and it's established everything for his son. He would 
hell and high water, he'd do anything to protect his son. And that's kind of establishes the foundation for this story and where it's going to go when, because obviously the vampires are planning on coming back and he's there. And then the, uh, the guy who lived on the outskirts of town, he was in the movie too. He's the main player in this one, the bearded guy. And he takes, I forget his name, uh, the name of the sheriff, but anyway, they have an interaction because the last sheriff just ran for the hills. Yeah, because when he got exposed to it, he just I can't do this shit, right? And which is fun about this one is the sheriff, the new sheriff, gives his son. It's his son's decision. Do we? If you want to stay, we'll stay. But if you want to go, we'll go tonight and get out of here. And his son's like, "Oh, let's leave." But then, uh, obviously, can't leave because the story has to happen. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We need. We've got more pages to write. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So then, then the vampires show up and. You know, uh, they're a little smarter about it because this has been, I guess, the way it goes is a cat and mouse kind of game that's been going on for years where small groups of vampires show up and they kind of take care of them, right? So it's really become almost a fortress town, like a Walking Dead type of thing. Kind of like Walking Dead, exactly. So this is more of a standoff type story than a revenge. Mm. Like, it's funny, the first one is the initial shock, right? The second one is the double revenge story. And this one is more like the standoff. And I thought they did a great job on how they explained it. And of course, the twist is from the end of the second volume, all of a sudden, some vampires are getting killed. And they're like, we didn't do it. Vampires torn apart and stuff. And and the big uh, spoiler reveal is, well, it's Stella and Eben come back to be the guardian angels of Beryl. They decide to devote their lives as vampires <laughs> to protect, protect the town of Beryl from other vampires coming to try to use them as a buffet, you know? On that yeah. part, Joe, I thought, again, that part of the story suffered a little bit from it being three issues. I feel there could have been a little bit more seeding. It was kind of like a big reveal at the end. I know it was mentioned a little bit, and there was sort of mysterious conclusions to certain threats during the issues but i felt it was kind of more of like a ta-da than it was oh so anyway it's a it's a fun story i enjoyed it and of course temple smith's art lends itself so well to those settings the dark dark settings of the town the isolation the the fields of snow and the barren landscape so i felt it was a return to form and you know it ends where it began right so it's a nice way to conclude that opening series uh, for this franchise. I liked in this story that there was, I thought, a little bit more subtlety to Barrow insofar as, like, when they introduced the new sheriff, the mm-hmm. previous sheriff had just skipped town. And so there's tension between the new sheriff and the residents because the residents basically expect him to skip town, too. And, in fact, he would have skipped town if he could have made it out that night because the mm-hmm. son said, Let, let's go. So... Partly, he's the new sheriff has spends his time trying to prove himself to the residents. And so once he is able to do that, then they can kind of come together. But there's a tension there that I really I liked about him trying to prove that he could do it and that he wouldn't bail on the on the townsfolk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a nice dynamic. And one of the really yeah. nice touches I found was the diary. When the sheriff uh-huh. is like, what's going on here? I need to find out what's happened to my brother. And then the guy that's a bit touchy with him in the first instance, he goes, look, just give it to him. It's his brother. What are you going to do? And then he reads it and it turns out that it is a natural fact, a day-by-day recollection, well, not a recollection, diary of what <laughs> happened to him in the town. And he goes to shoot he shoots his wife, shoots his kids, and then he's about to murder suicide himself and he yeah. runs out of bullets. So he's kind of the last of his family to survive, but obviously he doesn't actually survive. And that was not nice, but it was a very, as you said, Tim, an operation in subtlety. And maybe your criticisms of the first chapter, if they would have done just a little section like that yeah. to kind of emphasize the number of days, that would exactly. have been a nice plot to designed to illustrate the number of days they were there you know they're running out of food so they want to scavenge other houses to try to collect food and they run upon this diary and read it and like oh this is what they went through because like in the first one a lot of different people were hiding out in different houses right that would have been probably a good way a plot device uh, show the number of days or 
accentuate the number of days or you know yeah. but it, yeah. maybe it was a criticism that people had of the first one he's like okay so i'm gonna throw it into this final chapter to kind of illustrate you know the <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so on the whole from start to finish these first three terms as we say on our delightful podcast you can't seven out of ten watch or read something so you either watch it or you don't watch it. Tim, are you telling people to watch or to, no, to read? <laughs> are you telling people to read or to not read this IDW omnibus? I would tell people to read this overall. I had fun reading it, yeah. And it's not like my all-time favorite or anything, but I think it's definitely worth reading, especially this time of year. It's, it's fun to read. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's a really quick read. There's a lot of interesting details. There's a lot of good, good ideas in here as well. And it's nice to see them come to fruition with a nice, tidy conclusion, despite the fact there's 30 more volumes thereafter. (laughs) 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 Definitely recommend people read this, even if it isn't spooky season, but especially for spooky season. This is fantastic. So I definitely Mm -hmm. recommend this in or out of spooky season, but definitely a great read for spooky season, like Tim said. We're going to touch on the adaptation coming up if you're looking for something to do on a rainy cold october day read the book that first chapter slap in the movie it's definitely something you could pull off in an afternoon easily and i think it would be a fun double feature like the comic the source material the movie yeah okay and on to the movie the (laughs) same title 30 days of night and it's released in 2007 directed by David Slade, whose preceding film was Hard Candy, which was an absolutely fantastic film, if not one of the hardest films that you can possibly watch. I think it was Patrick Wilson and Elliot Page, as it was something pre... I can't even remember what her name was previously. Good, ain't we modded? We're just so modded, I can't even remember. I could could tell you if you want. No, I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy being. I'm happy being sensitive and modern. <laughs> Don't spoil it for me. I stick my. I've, I've fucked it up now by going on about it too much. Now it seems like it's a big deal. <laughs> well, we did get. We fun. did. We did get an episode flagged early on when we were recording the end pod regarding that. Remember, during editing is when it came out that the transition was made. Yeah, but so, we had talked about this person before they transitioned, and while yeah. you're editing, they announced the transition. So by the yeah. time that it came out, came out, it was it was dead naming, which we didn't oh. do on purpose. Happenstance, yeah. right? We're doing callback <laughs> here, man. People, callback. <laughs> oh, good grief! So on with the matter at hand. <laughs> uh, Melissa George plays Stella and Josh. Harnett plays Eb- Eben. Eben, 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 Eben. Eben. You can Eben, even make, yeah. make the B sound like a V if you want, you know? Yeah. yeah I, and I don't yeah. know if you're supposed to. I don't know if that B is supposed to have a V sound and you're supposed to say Eben. Well, we'll never know. And we've got ourselves in a pickle about names up to this point, Joe, so I'm not committing one way or the other. So I will start by saying really good adaptation Mm -hmm. it does the cell by cell when it needs to be done it keeps the main story beats it references in actual fact it pulls in little bits from the second and third part and yeah i thought this was one especially when you think of when this was released the year before probably it was christopher nolan era wasn't it and sort of just before iron man i liked it i like this too it kind of addressed all and I think all of the main criticism I had from the first, well, almost all of them, all the main criticism I had from the comic, I, mean, I thought it had good character development. Part of it is like, you know, the comic was only three issues as we touched on. This was a nearly two hour movie. So it it has all the time to breathe and all the conventions of a typical movie of this kind. So I thought that the character development was fine on point. I didn't really have any problems with the pacing per se. I thought it gave due time to each of the contexts in which the plot takes place so i thought it was it was good i, I liked it one thing i just forgotten that josh hartnett was like a big star i don't know what, what happened to him but i haven't seen him in like years he was in oppenheimer wasn't he 
I didn't see it. So yeah. Oh, well, did I put you off? No, 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 not at all. But <laughs> I just I, I tried. I, I not seen it. I tried for for a long time. So. To, never mind. I still like him. Still like him. <laughs> I think I think he gets a lot of uh, he gets shit on a lot. Josh Hartnett. He's not the best actor, but he's far from being a horrible actor. And I think he gets some unjust criticisms towards his performances. You know, he's serviceable as an actor. Yeah. Well, he's in that Matthew McConaughey bracket, isn't he? Where he was just the pretty boy with a strong frame. And then you, it just depends what you do with your career after that. I mean, look how Daniel Radcliffe and Robert Battenbat have managed to change their careers around. You just have to take a few big swings and then hopefully you are good. Do you think he's like the one actor that the hairstylists hate working with so much? It looks like an MCU hard. wig. His hair has a mind of its own. Mm. If you watch the faculty, he always has like a hair sticking out, like a cowlick. Hairstylists in Hollywood probably hate working with him because his hair's so hard to uh, to tame. Mm. You know, it has mm. a mind of its own. He always has like kind of a messy, messy do, and I think that's just because they can't. They can't tame his uh, his head of hair. <laughs> That's probably why he doesn't get as much work anymore. Hairstylists don't want to work with him in Hollywood. They're like, no, we're not we're not coming on this production if we have to deal with the the Hartnett hair. That's good. <laughs> yeah, shave his head. Just shave his head. Like, if he's not willing to shave his head for a role, they won't cast him. Was his head shaven in uh, Oppenheimer? No, he had that uh, same sideways short back and sides yeah. with a sideways <laughs> flat quiff, but a bit longer, yeah. so it, it kept its own uh, natural separation. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah I, I agree completely with Tim on this. It addressed most of the issues I had with the first run. The pacing was better, although I didn't quite have the feeling it was still over a month as opposed to a yeah, day or a week. It yeah, still seems like they were jumping from building to building and it could have been. I think the the thing that is its biggest ingenuity in it always being dark is also the thing that betrays it the most because that gives us, the reader or the watcher, a lack of a sense of time as well. So maybe that is a hard one to encounter because you can't even do like a fast forward thing, can you? Day, night, day, night, day, night. It's just perpetual yeah. darkness. So I think, yeah, maybe having thought that, I'm a little bit more lenient with the two. It focused exclusively on what was happening there. Didn't try to grow a world. There was no references or side notes. There's one specific thing at the end of this, the motivation for why he injects himself with the vampire blood. They realise that if they let them escape now, then next year they're going to come back and it's going to be the next town. And then it's going to be the next town. And if they don't take a stand now, or if he doesn't take a stand, the immediacy of that threat is his, well, it's his wife, isn't it? It's not ex-wife, but they're separated anyway at, at the start of the film. She's hiding under a car and they're setting the town ablaze and the fire is encroaching to where she's hiding. So he has to not only make the decision to save the other towns, but it's his life or her life. So he then injects himself with the vampire blood and then he goes out. And also, Joe. What I liked about this was he gets his ass handed to him by... His name's Marlowe in, in the movie. Okay. But he gets his ass handed to him, and then he basically turns around with a haymaker and, and puts his hand straight through his head, almost through the complacency of Marlowe. Now, that whole passage <laughs> of events in the film felt that it wasn't and then, and then, and then, because we needed to get wrap it up to a conclusion. Yeah, like you said, the motivations in uh, the Comics Limited series, he just went beast wild, didn't he? He went buck wild and he was tearing vampires mm. apart. Maybe he was a fan of the Twilight series. And in the Twilight series, young new vampires are stronger when they first get changed. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's, that's a, a link towards Twilight. I don't know. When did Twilight, when did the first Twilight come out? Did this come out after I mean, or before Twilight? I think it was all around this sort of series. Yeah. Well, didn't this director direct one of the Twilights as well? Oh, did he? He did as yes, well, yeah. Clip. He directed yeah. a clip. It does have ties to, uh, maybe this is all in the same world. Twilight <laughs> and 30 Days is one shared universe. <laughs> Breaking news, people. 
and I am legend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's all the same universe, man. Uh, uh, are they? Are all these properties owned by the same studio? Because they could oh, do a shared universe, man. <laughs> I'm going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! This, this is by know... far better than any Twilight movie, though. <laughs> I mean, you you you're poking me a little bit with that one, Joe. Trust me, I've watched the. The Twilight movies uh, numerous times because Pat. I really like. Bad. I really like the first one. I really like that first one. Yeah, it was. It was decent. It was. Mm. I. I will not contradict you on that. I mean, Good. I could see why a bunch of horny housewives got all worked up over teenage boys. They started a Me Too movement, and that you know, you, you see all these horny housewives weren't any better than the men. You know, like I'm just. I'll leave it there. I'll leave it there. <laughs> See, Tim, that's how it works. I say something good and Joe agrees with me. You could learn a thing or two from this gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I say a few things that I had a problem with the film now? I yeah. thought the it, but this isn't the problem with this. This is the problem with the heroes need to be at the end sort of thing. There was a part in it where a vampire catches up with a moving vehicle. It jumps on the top and they're trying to shoot it through the roof. They then break. The vampire just goes on the floor, not suffering any real da damage. And then the car pulls away at a moderate pace. And yet this time it's not, it's going too fast for the vampire to catch it. Yeah. Who is the grisly out of town guy played by Mark Boone Jr. from Sons of Anarchy? They pull the bit from the end of Dark Days, the second in the trilogy of comics, where Stella, she goes to this big meeting where they exchange MacGuffins, like a parlay, wasn't it? They exchange MacGuffins that ones of benefit to Lilith, ones of benefit to Stella. And then she has her coat wired with explosives. And then as they're walking away, Dane says, where's your coat? And then behind her, it just explodes. And I like the way that Bo, it's Bo, the bloke's name is Bo. Yeah. He has this big combine harvester type thing. And then he drives it into a bar, draws the vampires in, and then he has TNT from somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he just blows it up in a kind of self-sacrifice kind of thing. And I was like, but why? Couldn't yeah. you have just driven out the other side? Like, why did you stop? You've literally just floored this building, wooden building. You've driven straight through it. I mean, this building looked like it was made in the Wild West. Probably didn't just... use up all their budget. So they're like, we got to put an explosion in here. You know, yeah. we, we still have budget left for another explosion. Let's uh, let's make a, okay, let's write this in. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one, Evan and Stella are basically in the car escaping. The vampires lift it up from the back. They painstakingly turn it over while they're in the inside. And these things have been unbridled, kill on sight, slash faces, slash throats, bite. They don't even look at their prey and they move on. And now they're painstakingly turning over a car, which they are then trapped in, and let them crawl out and get away. Come on. Yeah, that part, that specific <laughs> scene, on. I was like... Yeah, that scene was kind of like, I Bitch, agree with please. you. Now. The car, the car, the other scene where he blows himself up, whatever, you know, so there's always that one hero that's going to sacrifice himself. All right, Tim, you're my favorite again. <laughs> <laughs> but that car scene, yeah, I had the same sentiment when I was watching that. I was like, they would have just dragged them out and slid them up right away. Slid like, them without, up, without yeah. hesitation. Yeah. But it was out of slid character from the way they set up the earth, the valley. Exactly. Their behavior early on, that was contrary to how they were behaving. And on that, when uh, Danny Houston, who plays Marlowe, the head mm. vampire, the, the top of the tree kind of vampire guy who's running the show, a little bit more patience, but his dialogue and monologue was absolutely cringeworthy. Every time <laughs> he started doing the silly vampire language and then the subtitles, uh, to, to break one thing is to break all things. If something can be broken, it shall be broken. I'm like, shut up. Fuck up. <laughs> but, that's one thing I enjoyed about the movie is the dialect, the vampire dialect. It almost okay. like harkens back to an 
ancestral language of like from yeah. when they were first that gets passed down. I like that. I didn't mind that. The one scene that <laughs> I, I'll have to say that I was like, it's so fucking stupid. The dumbest scene I found is the record player. I don't know if these filmmakers mm. know how record technology works. Oh, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. putting his nail on the record isn't going to produce music. I'm sorry. <laughs> but, right. uh, no. you know, and then they all start screaming ah, when he's putting his <laughs> finger on the record. I was like, what the fuck was the point of that? And also that on that note, Joe. All these vampires, it is in vampire lore, they're sexy, they're always nicely tailored, whether they're 500 years old or, or five weeks old. They've all got, they've got a bit of drip, haven't they? But yet they can't clean under their fucking nails or brush their teeth. It's disgusting. <laughs> Can you imagine what this fucking like, toenails look like as well? There is no way they're capable of even wearing shoes. It is grim. Either commit to being a sexy young man or just forget about it altogether. Vile. <laughs> they need a money petty joke. But that's one thing I liked about the movie more than the book is they really leaned into the animalistic side. They just ravage mm. everyone. Ravenous. They don't fuck around with the whole mm. no, they show up and it's like, what the fuck's going on? Just the one backhand of the claws and well, there goes one person's throat. Yeah. There's no Next. I love that part. The ruthlessness of the vampires yeah. in this. I think that's why they threw in those parts where that you didn't like with the, in the beginning, they depict them as mindless feeding machines, right? Mm. But then you have those moments where he's speaking to the rest of them in that dialect with the subtitles. They are a more, they are an evolved species. They're not just mindless eating and killing machines. There's actually a thought process they can think. So I think that's why they probably threw those scenes in there to kind of contrast the vicious animal side to them and the more, intellectual thinking side they had to come up with the idea of coming to borrow because they knew it was night for 30 days right they're not just mindless animals that came upon this there yeah, was a plan yeah, in place right yeah so which is even more scary how yeah. the fuck do you defend yourself from that you know it, and on that note of defending yourself i've seen enough of these films now to know that a very few people are going to survive you just have to be fucking ruthless with it at the very first instance i've got my group we're chucking out the babies, we're chucking out the infirm, we're chucking out the elderly, we're definitely getting rid of the selfish cunts, and we're just shoving them all outside, and then we just draw, draw, <laughs> redraw the undraw the curtains, and we sneak out the bat. We're all going to die, or this selfish cunt gets chucked outside. Like, it's that straightforward. There is no ifs, buts, and maybes. <laughs> would you, You've got would a bad you... reputation. Get him out of there. So where would you fall in this group? Would you be the selfish cut that's being thrown outside? <laughs> Mate, I would I would be scared to death. I would be following Josh Harnett around like he had a bad wipe and there was still like a little bit of crusty on in his underpants. That would be how close to him I would be, I tell you. <laughs> I would be inseparable. Whatever he said, I'm doing it. I want to be with the winners. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Tim, uh, what did you think of the nice little bit of infanticide we had in this? Oh yeah, that's delicious. I, 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 <laughs> it was grim, wasn't it? I like that they yeah. followed through on it. Rarely have you see where that that has the courage to to like actually depict that, but it was pretty fucking grim. You're right about that. Yeah, it was terrible, and it posed a really good question as well. That it's a vampire, but it's a young girl. A lot kind of like the creator, how it had yeah. the weapon as a young girl, because human nature says, I can't destroy it, despite the fact it's an AI robot. And in the same way here, it does wreak a little bit of havoc because it's an infant vampire. And she yeah. turns around and, oh my God, this was a bit cringy <laughs> as well. Do you want to play with me now? <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> come on. It's, it's Hollywood, right? So, yeah. yeah. They can't help but give those one-liners uh like someone somewhere thought that was the best one-liner ever right yeah so, yeah right what did you think of the mix of practical effects in cgi i thought it was well handled because it still stands up today and it's not incredibly noticeable mm. it didn't stand out uh, like a sore thumb so i thought they did a good job of mixing the two yeah, yeah. the practical effects were cool i didn't think that the the digital effects were that were clunky really i thought for 2007 no. they're pretty good yeah the casting on this, we didn't talk about Ben Foster. I think he had the probably the best performance in the movie, 
all those oh, short yeah, he lived. Was good, he? he was yeah, really yeah, good. Yeah. Like he sold it. The bar mm. scene, they nailed that whole scene down. That was like almost panel for panel. Panel for panel. And he delivered it so well. And that set a fantastic tone for the entire movie. It's that uneasiness, the creepiness, the, yeah. the mystery, the not knowing what the fuck's going on, you know, but you know something bad is coming. He's yeah. the bad omen that's being announced for what's coming down to this town. The harbinger of little, doom. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. Even though he wasn't in the movie for that long, he delivered a fantastic performance. And Josh Hartnett, like we said, was serviceable. Melissa George plays Stella, which uh, was fine. Danny Houston, aside from your the cringy moments they put him in, him himself as an actor definitely had the presence. Yeah, he's good. Uh, mm, the menacing the presence of just yeah the gravitas everything's going on around him he's there calm like you said poised just the looks the subtle looks he'd give people and you know he did a great job a great vampire Mark Boone doing Mark Boone things the guy from uh, who plays, uh, yeah he's mm. he's always that burly kind of rough around the edges type mm. of guy I mean everyone did a great job I can't say anyone did a horrible job on this. So the casting was, for me, quite strong and, yeah. and well cast. And it was quite brave with the way it was shot as well. It used, like I said, the overhead shots, the long panning shots, like long dolly shot, the close-ups, minor single shot scenes as they're moving through when they're hiding in the attic of that building and it goes from <laughs> person to person. I know... Get Out was lauded for it first. But this does enough to be a benchmarker because it's a horror film doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a nicely shot film. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think the fact that it takes place in one small town is yeah, very beneficial. You, you do that through necessity, right? Because you don't mm. have different locations where you can give an interesting... All the houses look the same. All So how can you create diversity in the visuals like you said mm. different kinds of shots bring different visual aspects of the same thing but from a different angle it creates a more interesting film and like you said it's always night all the houses look the fucking same uh <laughs> how are we gonna try to make things interesting it becomes a challenge right like you said they handle it beautifully yeah. where it becomes an interesting film to look at even though yeah very much so. it, it, it's always the same finally on the technical aspect it is a very noughties, gothic example of sound engineering, <laughs> but it's far from the worst. Like when you watch even The Matrix now that has that gothic guile to it, it kind of stands out as the noughties. But this isn't, like I said, it's not the worst of the sort of token noughties era. No, um, it doesn't take you out of it. You stay entrenched in the yeah. story. There yeah. was no effervescence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we covered it. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it quite well, actually. Okay, cool. Uh, so I guess that's almost the end of the episode. I will ask you briefly if you have any anything you've been reading for spooky season. Is there anything you'd like to recommend that you've been working through? Or has it just been this under instruction? <laughs> yeah, I just read uh, last week. I read Garth Ennis and Clayton Crane's oh, Ghost Rider okay. Trail, Trail of Pain. That's yeah, the one that yeah, takes yeah, place yeah. in the, is it the Revolution War? Anyway, hmm. and fucking Clayton Crane, man. His ghostwriter, the way he designs it, unbelievable. And Garth Ennis. I read uh, Road to Damnation. Is that it? The other one they did together? Something this one like is that. far yeah, yeah. far superior. Like, story-wise, this one is great. A great revenge story hmm. set. It's a good ghost revenge story type thing. Like, really well done. I highly recommend it. I enjoyed it much more than the their previous collaboration on Ghost Rider. Yeah. Cool. What I love about Clayton Crane, the way he situates the characters, the kind of mise-en-scene of it, he will make them almost the life field era 90s. Cable is this man mountain. It's more the portrayal of how he's set in the panel and the angles and the closeness of the reader's POV than it is anything else. And also... When I read uh, the X Force that that he was involved in, 
just the, the clarity between characters because he has a very specific style, but it it looks and feels like a, a classic of the art form, but it's a very new and painterly way of illustrating the characters. And especially when you have such a cast as the X-Men or X-Force, he's such a, a, an accomplished artist. And again, not simply because he's good at drawing, because he knows how to composite each panel. Mm. Anything to yeah. add, Tim? Um, no, just this. And I started diving into From Hell, which we're going to cover in a couple weeks. And I'm 100 pages in, I think, now. It's fucking hard to read. Yeah, it's going to, you can't, you can't cheat on that. You got to read every single thing or else you just get completely lost. Did you guys even try to watch the Dark Days movie? No, I did. I watched it last night, last night. And I think I fell asleep for a good 50 minutes of it. Okay. It, it's definitely a skip it's not adding anything to the story just read that second volume was way better than what they did with the changes unlike the move this adaptation for the first all the changes were beneficial to the story for the Mm. most part whereas it's the opposite for dark days all the changes just made that made it worse you don't have that Mm. vengeance where she wants to avenge even it's the hunters that recruit her in the story well, let's finish it on. Let's finish it on that one. Uh, Tim, would you recommend the film? I would. I I liked it. I would send somebody to see this. Yeah. How about you? As, yeah, I definitely would. I think it's good. As Joe said, it makes a good accompaniment to the reading material, and they make a nice two piece if you read and watch them together. Yeah, they're not redundant. Yeah. Yeah, highly recommend. Like we were saying before, it's spending an afternoon or an evening, read the comic, watch the movie, vice versa. It's definitely a good way to uh, waste some time, as yeah, you yeah. like to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. As the fine gentleman said, next up, well, actually, it won't be next up. In a couple of weeks, we'll be doing From Hell if we all three haven't agreed to jettison it beforehand. (laughs) But next week, we're going to the City Bobs and we're going to see Saw X and we're going to see... What's it called, Tim? What's the other one? Tim? It lives inside, maybe? Is that? It lives inside! Yes, it lives inside! We are going And I'll be hopelessly flirting with the internet to try and find a third film that we can just sit at home and watch but i'm yet to do that so it could be two or it could be three that's the excitement of the podcast and (laughs) i am your regular co-host matt and that only leaves me one thing to say we have been and this is the end Yay.